Coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. Thing about whey protein is it has the highest amount of leucine and leucine is a, an amino acid that will trigger muscle protein synthesis. So whey protein has more of that than the other sources. The other thing that it does is post-workout, whey protein is also insulinogenic, meaning that it will spike insulin. And after a workout, what insulin will do, well, we'll do it anytime, but insulin will actually suppress muscle protein breakdown. It will lower it. So that what whey protein offers is it kind of is a very anabolic protein, but it's also anti-catabolic because of its effects on insulin secretion. So that's, I, I like, I like, um, whey protein post-workout for that reason. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed exercise science professor and physique scientist, Dr. Bill Campbell. His research is focused on exercise performance and enhancing physiques through resistance exercise and nutrition. He's published three books on sports nutrition, including the NSCA's Guide to Sports and Exercise Nutrition. We discussed principles of fat loss, optimal protein requirements, how to maximize and preserve muscle mass, ideal body fat percentage to have a defined six-pack, the calories versus insulin model of weight loss, and is one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Tons of great info on this interview with Dr. Bill. I know you'll enjoy it. I did too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I have Dr. Bill Campbell on. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to have a conversation with you. Yeah, excited to have you on. Uh, Dr. Bill is a world's leading physique scientist. I thought that was cool. And actually what drew me to uh, Dr. Bill was his Instagram, which he does all himself. Uh, tons of great questions. I, almost as, I, I use it almost as a resource. And so I was like, I got to get this guy on my podcast. So <laughs> um, what, what got you interested in, I guess, being a physique scientist and also an exercise science professor? Yeah, so the easy answer is bodybuilding. When I was younger, I, I, I loved bodybuilding and particularly I loved like sports supplements, dietary supplements and how mm -hmm. they could enhance the body's adaptations to training or nutrition. And now I've learned that 95% of that is garbage, but right. that's what initially got me in. So resistance training, trying to build big muscles, trying to um, speed up the progress with supplementation. So it was really my passion for that, for, for bodybuilding. Um, now I'm, I would say I study bodybuilding. Um, they're the world's experts in fat loss, but my research and probably my, my, my target audience in, in terms of who my research serves are for not necessarily bodybuilders, like competitive bodybuilders, but for people like me, my wife, where we want to look like we're bodybuilders, but we actually have a life. Uh, we don't want to live in the gym. Uh, we want to go get some ice cream with our kids. So I, I almost call it like a lifestyle physique approach. Yeah, I love that. You might have to change your Instagram. <laughs> um, and, and with that said, 
what what did you learn through uh, i mean how many years have you been researching um just you know weightlifting and bodybuilding yeah so when i was in grad school I, I was involved in obesity research, obesity right. on one side, and then, and this was in females, and then um, sports performance with dietary supplements on the other side. So that was my, my upbringing as a grad student. And I've been a professor at USF for 15 years, and I've kind of done the same things. Um, I used to do much more sports nutrition. Now I'm solely physique or fat loss, building muscle. So that, that's how long I've been doing it. And I guess over my career, I started with obese individuals. And, and now I'm, I'm a little bit more in this space where I do fat loss research on people who really don't need to lose fat. Mm-hmm. They're already lean, but they just want to, they, they either want to maintain it or they want to just live a lifestyle of leanness. And, and one other thing is I said earlier, I study bodybuilders. The only difference that I do is study what bodybuilders do, and then you just dial it back a few degrees. And that seems to be able to fit most people's lifestyles in terms of their training and nutritional habits that, that they're able to um, sustain over a period of time. Gotcha. And what would you say uh, some of the biggest things that you learned from bodybuilders that you can apply, obviously, to just regular everyday people that maybe are looking to get their bodies back or you know, lose a few inches? Yeah, I think the biggest lesson that bodybuilders have done for a long time and that more recently the research has validated is a high protein diet. Okay. It doesn't have to be extremely high like some bodybuilders do, but the, the data, the evidence is pretty clear. If, if you want to have a leaner physique, a higher than average protein diet will support that. And that makes sense. And we're starting to hear that a lot just in my podcast and just the nutrition world is to prioritize protein and you hear differing amounts. Are we talking like a gram per pound on average, or what would you say, or does it depend probably on the individual? So yeah, I'll, I'll end with the individual approach to this, but I, I typically recommend a gram per pound just because that covers all bases. Uh, that's probably overkill for maximizing muscle mass, but there's other research, not as much, but uh, let's just say in theory, and my belief is it actually will cause a lower level of body fat as well mm. when you get higher amounts of protein. In terms of does everybody need to do that? No. If you get, um, let's say 0.75 grams per pound, that's what we, that's what I think and other scientists believe is enough to nearly maximize gains in muscle mass. So if, if you think of um, like a curve, like an asymptote uh, that goes like this, and then it levels out at the top, that's kind of what protein does. Your biggest benefits are going to keep going up and up and up till you get to about 1.6 grams per kg in terms of muscle mass. Once you start going over that, the, the benefits are still there, but they become progressively less and less and less. Doesn't mean there's not a benefit. It just means that it's not, it, it may not be worth, if you're struggling to get 1.8 uh, grams per pound, let's say, it may not be worth it for you to try to get more thinking that this is going to be a, have a huge impact on your body. I don't think it will. Um, but again, if you do go a little higher, I believe that it does cause additional fat loss, even when calories are, are, are not reduced. 
Um, that's somewhat controversial, but I have data to, to support that. Um, and then the other thing is people that do diet when they reduce their calories, a higher protein diet really helps with sustaining a diet because it makes it's the one nutrient that makes you feel the fullest for the longest. Yeah. And when you say, when we, when we say one gram per pound of body weight, or is it lean mass? Uh, per, per pound of body weight. So okay. real quick, I'm about 200 pounds. Right. I need, I, I would aim for 200 grams of protein per day. Now, just real quick, one lifestyle approach here is, uh, and, and I kind of have like a, a phrase that describes my research. It, it serves people that want to optimize their physiques within a maintainable lifestyle. So I have a big emphasis on lifestyle and sustainability. So what I do on the weekends, I usually will increase my calories a little bit and I'll actually drop my protein because the foods that I like, let's say like pizza, they don't have, they're not real high protein. So I'm, that's when I drop to, to 0.8 grams per pound um, because I'm still, still getting plenty, but it allows me to have some more foods that I enjoy and it really fits my lifestyle better with that kind of approach. Got it. And um, it's interesting. One of the questions uh, that I, that I, I highlighted was which of the following is the most important trait to possess when attempting to lose weight? And, uh, I'll, I'll say the, I'll say the answers and, and see if someone's listening, if they want to answer in their head, one is willpower or a is willpower B's, uh, perseverance C is optimism and D is patience. Uh, and, uh, well, I obviously know the answer, which is D patience, right? And it's interesting. You talk about that, maybe touch around that. Cause I see a few posts where the key with, with weight loss and diet is having that patience um, to, to let it sort of come off slowly. Yeah. And to be clear, they're all important. You want to have <laughs> aspects of every single one of those. But patience is the one that I think derails everybody. And I describe it like this. I, my whole career, professional career, has been around fat loss. I, I, I don't think there's many people on the planet who have read more fat loss, weight loss studies than I have, um, or even published more than I have, in, at least in lean people. And I go on diets a lot just because I'm in this space. Uh, sometimes I purposefully gain weight. Sometimes I don't. And every time I go on a diet, every time I get impatient, I'm like, this isn't working. This is going to, I, if, if I don't know, if I'm struggling with that, and I know this, again, who knows this better than me? I do the research. How, where does that put everybody else? Right. So I know that everybody has an exaggerated or unrealistic expectation with the amount of fat loss or weight loss that they expect to get. So it's, it's, it's important. Struggle with it myself, even though I know better. So that's why, um, and here's, here's a quick example. Let's, yeah. if, if somebody like me, um, or I won't even say me, um, if somebody loses, uh, they have like 20 pounds that they want to lose and they're losing a pound per week and they're just really struggling. Like, man, this isn't happening fast enough. Something I always like to say is, are you, are you kidding me? In a, if you lose a pound per week, depending on how much you weigh when you start, you'd be dead within a year if you continued that pace of weight loss. I mean, that's mm -hmm. over 50 pounds in a year. So a pound of weight, and hopefully most of it's fat, we can talk about what, what we can do to, to kind of almost assure or to, to bias the weight loss so it's all fat. But 
on a daily or weekly basis, it appears slow. And, and I always try to convince people that try to approach this from a month um, and no more than a two week assessment period. Cause you're, if you're looking at this from day to day, or even within a week, you're going to get frustrated at times. Um, and again, I'm, I'm looking in the mirror when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that, that, you know, you're also trying these techniques. I'm sure, you know, doing all the research, you probably just intrigues you to, to see if it really works. Cause I think there is a point of like self-experimentation that everyone needs to do. Um, and I try to do it for myself. I know when you're post, you talk about, you know, what's the fastest rate of weight loss per week you should strive for when dieting. And <clears throat> that answer was 1% of your body weight, which to some people, they'll just get frustrated, like you said, and stop. So it really does come down to just, you know, persevering a little bit, right. And being patient through the process, knowing that whatever weight you put on, I mean, how many years do you think it took that individual to put that weight on? I mean, for the most part, it, took, it could take, take, take a decade <laughs> to put on that weight. You know, some people put it on really quick over COVID and stuff like that. But for the most part, I'd imagine it took that person a lot of, a lot of time to put that weight on. And so they get it off in the right manner. And we'll talk about that um, is, is in a slow process. Yeah. And 1%. I think the key word there is that's the maximal rate. Like that's a, that's a pretty good rate. And yeah. if you're going to surpass that, if you're going to lose more than that, you're likely losing some lean mass along with your weight. And there's a lot of, a lot of um, potential harm that can happen. Um, yeah, so, so let's talk about that. What, what are some of the principles of fat loss? I, I, I wrote that down a little bit from some of your posts, losing weight slowly, which we talked about not decreasing protein. Right. And then yep. the, the third one was, which I think sometimes people forget a little bit is resistance training. Yeah. So th those are the principles. If you're going to go on a, a diet, trying to lose body weight. And again, we want to, we want to emphasize body fat, not just weight loss. Right. Those three things will help you maintain your muscle mass. And, and real quick, why, why is it important to maintain muscle mass? Well, some of the, I'm going to call this theoretical, but there's, a, um, there's several prominent historical research um, phys, um, researchers that have suggested that when you lose muscle mass, what that does, well, first of all, I'll go to the theory in a second. If you lose muscle mass when dieting, your metabolism will be suppressed. Your metabolism slows down. When your metabolism slows down, it becomes harder and harder to continue to lose body fat. The only way that usually happens is you're going to have to keep reducing your calories and further starving yourself. And, and that is not a good situation. So your metabolism slows down. Not only does your metabolism slow down, causing it, causing you to have more difficulty in losing fat when your diet is over, you've set, you've primed your body to prioritize the, the addition of body fat as soon as the diet's over. So a, a lot of negative consequences to losing muscle mass. The other thing and this applies to more aggressive dieting, but the theory is, or what people used to think was when you lose body weight, now the diet's over, people tend to be hunger, hungry, even when the diet's over for a period of time. Researchers used to think you have this elevated hunger until you regain lost body fat, uh, basically gaining back the body fat you had prior to when you started the diet. And this goes into the set point theory to some extent. It's not, it's not the same, but it, it, it's in that ballpark. 
other researchers have suggested, and this is where I think that the data leads me, you have an elevated hunger after a diet until you gain back the muscle mass that you lost. And there's a famous study called the Minnesota starvation experiment that was very evident in those people. And again, that was a very aggressive crash dieting type of approach as many of these were. Mm -hmm. But in several of these studies, and the theory is you are going to have an elevated hunger. And, and in a severe case, it's, it's called hyperphagia, which is really an uncontrollable desire to eat food. That is going to persist until you gain back the muscle mass that you lost when dieting. So my approach, what my research lab really embraces is let's maintain muscle mass at all costs during a diet. Let's, let's take that hyperphagia, the propensity to gain fat back after the diet's over. Let's, let's eliminate that as, as a likely outcome by doing the things that are necessary to maintain muscle mass while dieting. Got it. Yeah. That's such a, it's a good, great point to make. And when you talk about dieting, I know there's a bunch of theories around that. Um, are you, what, what does your research have brought to you as far as, you know, uh, we all know not all calories are equal and, you know, you have a lot of people I've had Dr. Ben Beekman on and Dr. Jason Fung on who are very in, in the insulin camp and, and in making sure that we, you know, get insulin low through fasting and through low carb. Um, and then you have other people who are sort of in the calorie camp where it's all about calories. What, where does your research lie and, 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 um, and what's your thoughts around that? Um, I, I don't subscribe to the insulin hypothesis. Um, I believe that, or the evidence suggests that anybody can lose weight as long as you're in a caloric deficit, whether it's high carb, low carb. Um, the, the, the key things that have to be controlled for in a research study are two things, the caloric deficit. So making sure that both groups had an equal reduction in calories. And then the other one, which you just mentioned, not all calories are equal. You have to also control for protein intake. Protein is a very powerful nutrient when it comes to dieting. I mean, it, it, it really helps maintain muscle mass. It helps keep metabolic rate high. Uh, I'm not anti a uh, ketogenic diet or low carb at all. In fact, I've, 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 uh, when, when I used to, well, I did one bodybuilding show, that was the approach I took. So I, I think that is a great diet approach for some people. Um, in fact, it's probably the best diet for controlling hunger. Right. The problem is in my observation, it's very difficult for a lot of people to maintain that type of diet for a period of time. So yeah, it, um, you can lose body fat with high insulin. Um, here's an example I, I use in my class. If your maintenance calories are 2000 calories per day. So if you eat 2000 calories per day, we know that you would not gain body weight, nor would you lose body weight. Now let's say you ate 1500 calories per day. So that's a 500 calorie reduction or it's a 25% caloric deficit every day. If you, if you got those calories, 100% of them from Skittles or cotton candy, just the, a very high glycemic sugar. Mm -hmm. That's going to spike insulin high, but you would lose body fat. So I, I, that's an example. Now, would I ever suggest such a diet? No, it's not a healthy <laughs> diet. There's no, there's no, there's no nutrients, no right? <laughs> yes. No nutrients. But my point is caloric deficits 
are the primary factor in weight loss. Um, but again, low carb diets, better for some people, not, not better for others. Um, I would suggest that our typical sedentary American eats way too many carbs. That what they don't need a lot of carbs. If you're active, mm-hmm. resistance training, just you know, playing playing recreational sports, uh, you, you probably you can use more carbs in that case to to perform and feel better. You don't have to. Um, now the other thing is on the performance side of this. If you're an anaerobic athlete, a low carb diet is is clearly inferior. You, you will, according to the to the evidence, you will not perform as well anaerobically and when you say anaerobic you mean like oh weightlifting uh, uh, like like go ahead like hockey players um um, soccer play like anything where you have to do yes sprinting um because that's the body needs to to the body prefers to to oxidize or break down carbs for quick energy and when you do when you when you eliminate that your body has to rely on another fuel source which is not burned as fast. So then your performance suffers. Okay. So for someone who has maybe is in a quick, quick explosive sport, um, eating carbs could definitely help for sure. Yeah. According to the, well, the research would suggest low carb diets are not conducive to optimizing performance in, in anaerobic athletes. Um, and let me also say this, I don't have any products. uh, I mean, I have an educational product, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't, I don't have a low carb book. I don't have supplements. I, I don't have, I don't have any reason to say that low carb diets are, are inferior or superior. Like, um, I, I guess I would say I have no conflicts. I don't, I mean, I don't care. I, again, I actually like low carb diets for the fact that they help with hunger. I just appreciate a lot of people get frustrated because they, they it's a little too restrictive on many of the foods for extended periods of time. Gotcha. And, what about um, protein supplementation? I know you've done some posts around that, and I get that question quite a bit. Is like, what would be the most superior choice as far as protein is concerned um, for muscle protein synthesis and, and building muscle? What would what was the question? What would be the what? The... Yeah, the, like prefer, if someone's going to supplement with protein, what would be what would be the best choice as far as oh. for supplementation? Yeah, yeah. Um, I always like to answer this. If I was on a uh, deserted island and and I only had one protein source that I could eat for the rest <laughs> of my life on this island, I would choose whey protein. Mm-hmm. But casein's great. Soy's good if you don't want to avoid animal. Um, pea protein if if you take more um, rice, like even the the plant based sources. As long as you take more, they're going to be just as good. You just need more of them because they don't have as much leucine or essential amino acids. Uh, the, the thing about whey protein is it has the highest amount of leucine and leucine is a, an amino acid that will trigger muscle protein synthesis. So whey protein has more of that than the other sources. The other thing that it does is post-workout whey protein is also insulinogenic, meaning that it will spike insulin. And after a workout, what insulin will do, well, we'll do it anytime, but insulin will actually suppress muscle protein breakdown. It will lower it. So that what whey protein offers is it kind of is a very anabolic protein, but it's also anti-catabolic because of its effects on insulin secretion. So that's, I, I like, I like um, whey protein post-workout for that reason. I like casein, which is the other milk protein, uh, mm-hmm. casein and whey. 
Casein makes me feel fuller longer. It tends to, um, during the digestive process, it clumps in the stomach. So I like it for, for myself um, in the morning, to just make me feel fuller longer. So I like casein for that. What, again, what, somebody, what type of things do you have that have casein like, like would like cottage cheese or any, oh. any, yeah, any, any type of dairy. I like, I like using cottage cheese with my, with like eggs and stuff. Yes. I just buy <laughs> tubs of casein protein, oh, but okay. uh, uh, cottage cheese. Yes. That's a perfect, I, I wish I liked it. My, my wife eats that a lot. Uh, I wish I liked it because that's, that's casein. That's, that's, and I would also suggest if you can get your protein through whole foods, that's a better approach. I struggle with that. And I like the convenience of supplements. So that's why I use supplements to help me reach my goals. Um, but I, you know, and I can only eat so much chicken breast or tuna where I'm just like, ah, just give me a, two scoops of protein for 50 grams. It just makes it easier for me. Yeah. And, um, I find for myself, like I, I, we talk a lot about on this podcast fasting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious your, your thoughts are on fasting. And if you've done some studies regarding that, and for a while I've been doing uh, resistance training in a fasted state and, you know, but occasionally I, lately I've been trying to see how I perform if I have maybe a little bit of cottage cheese and some and eggs or cottage cheese and fruit, maybe in a couple hours before the workout, just to see how I perform. What, what are your thoughts? And have you done some studies around fasting and, and whether fasting in an, in a, in a working out in a fasted state, um, has some benefits or working out, um, and having, you know, something in your system would be beneficial. Yeah. I've not done any research in my own lab on fasting. Okay. My lifestyle is such that I don't eat in the morning until, I mean, 10 o'clock would be the earliest that I would eat. And I, I, I came to that conclusion just because I I'm, I'm not hungry in the morning. Like if I eat, I'm eating for some other reason than hunger. Right. And I am much more hungry in the evening. So essentially I bank those calories for the evening um, when I am hungry. So that's, that's my lifestyle in terms of, is that superior or not? Um, the one thing that delaying, let's say you don't eat till noon, there is one thing that you are giving up and that is a morning protein feeding so if your goal is to maximize muscle mass, muscle hypertrophy, fasting, this would be like a time-restricted feeding approach. You are sacrificing some. Right. Well, you, you're, ma you're, you're compromising your ability to maximize muscle mass. How much would you lose? I, I, I don't know, but you're, you're not maximizing. And that's based on two studies that I'm aware of, one in, at the cellular level, one in, um, in bodybuilders that, that – uh, we're lifting for eight weeks where they actually manipulated morning protein intakes. But in a fat loss phase, I really like the idea of fasting for some people. If you're not hungry in the morning and your primary goal is fat loss. And when I say that, that means that you're willing to sacrifice some muscle mass. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we want to do everything we can to preserve it. But we also appreciate if your primary goal is fat loss and you're not going to you're not hungry in the morning. I think it's a good approach. Um, I actually just read a study where they compared time-restricted feeding to flexible dieting. Mm -hmm. And what I love about the study was they told the flexible dieting group, reduce your calories by 500 per day. And these were people that were resistance training. They told the time-restricted feeding group, don't, don't diet. Like we don't want you to reduce your calories. What we do want you to limit your feeding between the hours of noon and eight. 
And at the end of the study, what they realized was they also reduced their calories by, by approximately the same amount <laughs> without consciously dieting. They had right. to consciously restrict their feeding window. So that, that really, that study kind of changed my perspective. I used to think, well, I wouldn't recommend time-restricted feeding. Now, if you can tell somebody, you don't need to diet, just limit your feeding window. Mm -hmm. And then likely what's going to happen is they're going to diet. But psychologically, they're not, they don't have right. this dieting umbrella over their head all day. Like, oh, I'm dieting. I'm going to be hungry and grouchy. No, I just have to wait till noon to eat. Don't eat past eight. So it's kind of like they snuck in a diet. But psychologically, the subjects weren't dieting in their heads. Um, and, and then that study, they lost equal amounts of body fat. Um, that particular study, um, I'm trying to remember if it was the significant difference in, in muscle mass. I, 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 I think it was fairly minimal difference. They, they may have sacrificed a little bit of muscle. But again, if the goal is fat loss, and I also think prioritize your goal and then pursue that. If you're in a fat loss phase, pursue fat loss. If you're trying to build muscle, build muscle. Now within that, go ahead and build muscle. Try not to gain a ton of fat. And when you're in a fat loss phase, pursue that, try not to lose muscle, but embrace the phase that you're in and pursue that with your, with your resources. Yeah. I love that. And, and that study with the, with the fasting, I do find true because just for my own, my own case, like I used to eat, let's just say three meals a day. And then when I started fasting, I just, it just it was natural to have two meals. And that's what all I get is two meals a day and, um, minimal snacking at all. And so, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm probably doing some type of calorie restricted diet that I'm not, you know, even thinking of, cause I'm just eating till I'm satisfied. I almost find like that. I, I actually eat less, um, when, when I implement the fasting, as opposed to if I started my eating window right away, you know, then, so I, I like the fact that what, what fasting does, it gives you structure. Yes. Yeah. And let me ask you, so yeah. you do your workout in the morning and then you eat like at noon and then like at seven, like what's, what's your, how do you structure your, your fitness with your, with your feeding patterns? Yeah. So it's, it's evolved over the years. Uh, but recently I've been over the last probably year or two, I've been doing my workouts midday. So let's just say noon or one o'clock and then breaking my fast after that. Okay. So, you know, maybe start eating around 132-ish. I'll I'll break a fast. And I find for myself, I like to do higher protein, moderate like fat. I'm not a big carb guy in the middle of the day. I just find that it weighs me down a little bit. I more so backload my carbs um, if I'm gonna have them. And <clears throat> and then I'll have another meal maybe around 530. Um, but I will say it is tough, and I and, and that's why I like what you said um was figure out what stage you're in and what your goal is. Because I think for me sometimes, and I think maybe this is be something new to try is like when I am sort of in a muscle building stage, maybe I should have those three meals of, and, and prioritize protein. It'll be so much easier for me to get, I'm 170 pounds be, to get 170 grams of protein in two meals is, it can be tough. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a lot of, a lot of steak. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there is a limit on a per feeding basis with muscle protein synthesis. So it's based on the limited evidence that we have, it would suggest that you can't, that is not ideal to do it in two to build muscle or to maximize the anabolic response to feeding. 
Right. I think, I think what, what I've heard from some of the research is like four times of, of, of spiking muscle protein synthesis is ideal. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I, I always say three to five, but, and four being the sweet spot and what that can look like is breakfast, lunch, dinner, post-workout. Um, it could also be breakfast, lunch, dinner, pre bed, like right before bed. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I I think four is a great goal that fits a lot of people's lifestyles as well. Yeah. And what are your thoughts around people that are maybe 50 plus and, you know, they, they're trying to get their protein goals in, but there's also research out there showing that as you age, it's, you don't absorb protein as well as you did maybe when you were in your twenties. Yeah. So the research that I'm familiar with is that, that you need more protein, um, and because, yeah, your body becomes a little bit muted to the anabolic response to the protein. So the, the one, the one fix to that, or the attempted fix is to just to have greater amounts of protein. Um, that, yeah. And, and I'm trying to think what decade does that mean? Clearly the later in life. Now, one thing I would suggest is we, we are lacking research in people. That data does not exist in people who have been resistance training throughout their lives. So is it possible that people that have been training throughout their lives, do they somehow negate that? I, I don't know, but in, it's, it's an interesting question that over time we'll have that data. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I noticed one of your posts, I think a lot of a lot of guys would, would, and even women would, would find this interesting. Um, what body fat percentage, uh, makes, wait, what body fat percentage do males need to reach to have a defined six pack? <laughs> and, and was this based off of just your own, just, uh, like your own studies? Okay. Yes. Yeah. This is based off my career, you know, 20 years of fitness experience. You, um, and measuring based off of DEXA, skin folds, ultrasound, mostly ultrasound, because that's what I've been doing for the last probably 12 years here, but also have some um, many DEXAs and some skin folds. So that's, uh, that's where the, that is where my observations are coming from. And uh, just so people know, uh, for, for the males, it was 12%. Yeah. Yeah. If I see if, and I, again, I've, I've taken a lot of body composition assessments in my career. So when I see a six pack that's defined, <laughs> I always try to guess. And that's a very good estimation. And I, I think that sounds about, I just like, I'm right now nine to 10%. So, and, and it, it, it shows, but yeah, I would say probably for me, if, it'd probably still be there at 12. I think probably anything more and it, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be as defined. Mm -hmm. And it probably depends on your weight. Maybe I would imagine as well, or, or how you carry it as well. Yeah. That's a big, that's, that is something else that I've appreciated Yeah, there. You look at, I'll just use females in this example. We have two females and they're both 16% body fat. One looks pretty lean. The other one doesn't look lean at all. Right. And it's simply, how do they carry it? Where are their, um, their tenderness attachments on their muscles? Do their muscles look more defined? And, and it's, it's amazing. Again, I can make general recommendations, but in some cases, it, it literally how you carry it, how your body is structured will give you a very different look, even when body fat percentages are equal amongst two different people.
Yeah, that's a good point to make. Um, and on, on that point, I, I was, I, I loved your true or false regarding pizza <laughs> and digestion. You must like pizza. <laughs> I, we eat, my family eats pizza pretty much. I'd say 90% of the time on Sundays, we go to church, we get pizza, we come home, <laughs> we eat our pizza. Gotcha. So that's your splurge. Sounds like. That's and one of my splurges. One of your, okay. <laughs> that, that and Skittles. No, <laughs> no, I don't like Skittles. I like uh, chocolate chip cookies and okay. Buffalo wings. Those are some of my, my um, splurges. Um, and I thought found this interesting as far as how long it takes the body to absorb two pieces of pizza within four hours. Or your, your question was, do, will you digest pizza within four hours after you eat it? Uh, two pieces, and that's 600 calories. And the answer is false. And, and you wrote it actually takes, gosh, what did you say? Five hours. I think hours. it was six hours. Was it five? Okay. Five hours. Uh, yeah, and that's based on a study. So researchers actually went in, you know, they, they measured the contents in the stomach. Um, they measured the glucose response, the, the, the lipid response in the blood. So yeah, that's a lot longer than I would have thought. I would have thought, oh, of course it's through my system in, in four hours. That's a long time. Like, wow, that surprised me. Now, and I'm not sure if obviously this study just talked about 600 calories or pizza was ingested by healthy middle-aged males. And the, they said the, macro, the macronutrient profile was 75 grams of carbs as starch, 37 grams of protein, 17 grams of fat. And like you said, you thought maybe three hours, but it was actually five hours it took to actually get through the system, which is a long time, five hours. Now, do you think it depends on the macronutrient profile and what you're eating as far as how, um, how fast it'll get through your system or your digestive? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, uh, fats and protein will slow it down. Carbs, if you just eat pure carbs, it, that, that will go through fairly rapidly. So yeah, it's, that definitely probably is the primary contributing factor to an elongated digestion time. And, would, and just thinking of that, if for like a pre-workout, uh, is there something that you would recommend for pre-workouts that don't weigh you down and sort of can give you maybe, a, you know, that sort of that sustained energy for that workout? Yeah. If, if you want a pre-workout, I would say choose one that doesn't have fat um, because your, your body doesn't necessarily need fat. You're not going to be fat depleted ever unless, unless you're 3% body fat. Right. Uh, but even then your body still has plenty of fat to rely on. So yeah, um, that's what pre-workouts you'll generally see. They don't have any fat. They're, they're mostly carbs. And I think that makes sense. Um, carbs can give you very quick energy because of their digestion kinetics. What about fruit? Ability to oxidize them. What about fruit? Do you think fruits? Fruits, are fruit? um, fruits a little bit different fruit what has higher levels of fructose that has to go to the liver and then the liver converts the fruit almost all of the fructose to glucose so that's a little more of a of a delayed response right. as compared to non fructose containing foods so fruit probably if again if you're looking for quicker energy now again fruits are great for health you got all the the phytonutrients um, for pre and post workout, if your goal is to get carbs into your system quickly, or if your goal is to quickly replenish glycogen levels or the, the carbs in your muscles and liver after a workout, fruit would not be the best choice. Gotcha. What would you, what would you say as far as foods are concerned? If you, if you had to pick a pre and a post, uh, uh food-based, I love baked potatoes, um, pre and post very quickly digested and absorbed, um, 
doesn't weigh you down, at least not myself. Um, mm-hmm. So baked potatoes are great. Um, and then the obvious beverages are like Gatorade or <laughs> things of that nature. For, yeah, for pre, for pre and post. Yeah. 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 Pre and post. Um, in terms, uh, and even, I mean, depending on what kind of activity you're doing, if you're doing like an endurance workout, um, when you add glucose and fructose during your workout, now you are, you're, you're able to get more carbs into your body because you have different transporters. Now, granted the fructose still has to go to the liver, but during work, during, during exercise, your body will flip, turn that around pretty quickly. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what about if someone's, you know, looking to build muscle, do you recommend, I you know, and especially as you age, I, you know, there's a sort of that injury concern. Um, and I think you m- mentioned in one of your posts regarding higher loads versus lower loads. What are your thoughts regarding building muscle and what's the most e- efficient way to do it? And then maybe what's the safest way for someone that's a little bit older? I think the most efficient way for looking at the loads or how heavy of weight should we lift? I would suggest a, a moderate weight, one that allows you to do between eight to 12 repetitions, maybe six to 12. And I would say do that a majority of the time. That doesn't mean you always have to be there. And the reason I say that's the most efficient is because of the, the t- two theories that, that um, regulate muscle growth. The primary factor is mechanical tension. So that's a heavy weight that kind of puts stretch pressure on the muscle fibers. We believe that that mechanical stimulus is then converted into a chemical stimulus that causes elevated muscle protein synthesis and ultimate muscle gain. The other prime, the other variable that we believe is responsible for increasing muscle mass gains or in muscle hypertrophy is metabolic stress. So those are the workouts where you're feeling a little bit more lactic acid, a lack of oxygen in the muscle. And you would get that feeling through, um, or you would get that response with light weights where you're doing a lot of reps. So really heavy weights kind of maximizes mechanical tension. Mm -hmm. Really light weights maximizes metabolic stress. So this moderate range Again, weights that you can get eight to 12, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. You're, you're lifting weights that are heavy enough to, to, to stimulate mechanical tension. And the weights aren't, they're also light enough where you're starting to get a little bit of a lactic acid buildup and a lack of oxygen in the muscle fibers. So one of the studies we did a few years ago, which I really liked, we did this in resistance trained females, 20% of the time we had them lift with heavy weights. So less than six reps. Another 20% of the time we had them lift with light weights that allowed them to do about 15 to 20 reps. Mm. And then the majority of the time, 60% of the time between six and 14 reps. So this moderate range, and they had a really good response to, to that resistance training program. So I, I like some of everything, but the majority of time kind of in this middle sweet spot area. And let me also say most importantly, Make sure each set is taken to near failure. So you want to you want to be able to only do two, maybe three more reps without with good form, and and um, that you could wait. You want to take each set to where you could only do two, maybe three more reps with good form. Um, so if I have a weight that I could do ten times and I only do it four, and then I put it down, I'm like, oh, that was a set. 
That, that <laughs> set didn't do much for optimizing the anabolic stimulus. So the sets need to be taken to near failure, not absolute failure, but near failure. Got it. All right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And so the sweet spot, eight to 12, maybe do some workouts where you, you maybe go up and wait and you do four to six, let's just say, and then, and then maybe you have some days where you do you know, higher volume, maybe 15 to 20. Does that sound yes. about? Yep. I love, yep. I, lo- I like that. And you also did mention in your question, as you get older, those lighter days, depending on what exercises they're doing, their, their, their joint recovery is admittedly, because I'm of the age or getting of the age that matters. Didn't matter at all when I was in my 20s. <laughs> matters now. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm much more conscious of how often I go real heavy on my squats and deadlifts. Yeah. And, and one thing that, and if, if you're a listener and you listen to my podcast, I talk a, a lot about the X3 bar with a variable resistance. I don't know if you're familiar with. Um, yeah, it sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I did Dr. John Jake wish on a couple of times and, um, I used it. I've been using it probably for two, gosh, two, three years now. If you look on my Instagram, you'll see me doing it and, uh, it's all banned. It's all bands. There's an Olympic bar and a ground plate. Um, and I like it for my, for anyone, but especially for my, let's say 40 plus 50 plus year old clients, um, a lot easier on the joints because of the variable resistance. And, um, uh, it's just, it's a great stimulus, I think for muscle growth. Nice. So, yeah, definitely check that one out. Um, well, yeah, to, to I, I feel like I keep going. You, you have a great Instagram page. So if, if anyone wants to, to read more of these questions and, and get their, get the answers, but, and the, and the literature and the proof behind it, which I really like, because I think there's a lot of stuff on Instagram where it's just hypothetical stuff. People are just throwing stuff out there saying they're an expert, <laughs> but you, you're actually researching and you have the studies to back it. And, and every post has that. Um, and I love how you sort of make it in a, in a quiz format. So, uh, and that's, uh, your Instagram handles and I'll put links in the show notes. That's at Bill Campbell, PhD. Uh, and I know you have a new website, right? BillCampbellPhD.com. Right. And yes. tell us about your new program coming out. So, yeah. So um, on my website, I'm I'm offering a, a research review and the research review is called Body by Science. And what this is, is a I review or summarize two studies per month that are solely focused on losing body fat and gaining muscle mass. So I know a lot of people want to want to know what the science says, but they don't necessarily have the time. And some people don't even don't have the expertise to be able to digest a, a full research study. So what I do is since I do this every day in my profession, I summarize these studies much like I do in my Instagram posts. It's just now I don't, I'm not limited by whatever 2000 characters or whatever it is. Right. So I'm breaking down the study in a way that's very understandable. So I actually say in, in one of um, one of my um, attributes is it's not too sciencey, even though it's all science. You don't have to have a science background to understand this. Right. The other thing that I do is I summarize these studies on fat loss and building muscle. And I also bring in two other experts that are kind of like you, like maybe you're coaching at you're coaching people. Right. Or I'm bringing in physicians that work with weight loss or registered dietitians. And, and what I asked them to do is I said, okay, expert, you've seen how I've summarized the study and made it understandable. 
How would you apply this into the lives of your clients? Or if you're just somebody who's very serious about your own exercise and nutrition, you don't have clients, how would you apply this? Because just reading research is not enough. You, you need to have an idea of how it is actually can be practically applied, which is what you do. That's what you do for all of your clients. That's why they, that's why, they, that's why you are who you are. <laughs> so I want, I, I make sure to, to, I think that's the highest value of what I'm offering. It's not just the research, although that's valuable in itself, but it's also giving you ideas on how to apply this to your life. And it's okay. called body by science. If you go to my website, I have the first issue, the inaugural issue for free. You can download that to see if it's something that you like. And if you do like it, you can be a, you can subscribe to the research review every month. Excellent. That's great. Yeah. And we'll put, we'll put links in the show notes for that. And, um, before we, before we end things, I, I, and we probably answered this question a few times, but I like to ask all my guests, uh, if you were going to give one tip to, uh, let's just say a middle-aged individual looking to get their bodies back to what they once were when they're in their twenties and thirties, what, what one tip would you give them? I think I would tell them come up with an extremely conservative workout plan and commit to that hundred percent. Don't stretch. Maybe it's two days per week where you're going to lift weights and one day where you're going to walk for whatever it is, mm -hmm. but build on the confidence that you can do that. Um, and I'm not an exercise psychologist, but what I think happens a lot is people say exactly what you said. Their goal is I want to get my body back in shape to what it was. I'm going to lift five days per week and do cardio the other two days and I'm going to, you know, reduce my cap. It's their, their expectations are so high. So, and this may go, I think this may go against a lot of business advice where you're supposed to shoot for the moon, but what I think makes sense, do something very minimal in terms of goals. And if you can be a hundred percent on that, which should be an easy goal for a few months, well now by all means, increase your goal. But now you have the confidence that you know you're going to execute on what you said you were going to do. Yeah, no, I love that, and I use that with a lot of clients. Is you know start get start getting some small wins, and uh, and I think and then you can just build off of that. So I think that's great advice, Doctor Bill. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, and I appreciate you coming on the uh, the podcast. So uh, we'll definitely put links in the show notes. Check out his Instagram, Doctor Bill Campbell, PhD. And um, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.